And we are so excited to announce something brand new here at Bayshore Community Church. Available now on any of the app stores, either Apple or Android or even Amazon, is the exciting Bayshore Church app for your mobile device. Now this app is chock full of content for you to use to engage with Bayshore. There's a sermon archive where you can browse past messages from both campuses. There's ways for you to sign up for classes, for events, for small groups. There's events calendars so that you don't miss anything that's happening. There's even a Bible reading section where you can get daily updates on where we are reading in the Bible. Also, this app has a great new giving feature, a very sleek and efficient way to easily give anytime you like and also have reoccurring gifts. So be sure to check out our app. You can go to bayshorecc.org slash app. That's bayshorecc.org slash A-P-P. And find links to download the Bayshore Church app. God bless you, Pastor Danny. It's so good to be with your church today. And, and uh, it's hard to, for me to imagine that we've known one another 39 years. We were both a lot younger than you might imagine, right? And uh, back in those days, we both had hair. You know, and some turns gray, some turns loose, some turns gray and loose. If my head looked as good as Pastor Danny's, I'd shave my head too. God had to cover mine up with some hair. But what a precious brother in the Lord, and uh, we've been such good friends since Bible college days, and while we were in Pensacola, we got our wives out of the children's church there because they're a lot younger than we are. You can tell that to look at them. They're great ladies. Karen is a great pastor's wife. It's fun to watch her flitting around here, uh, taking care of this and that and the other thing. You all are really blessed to have a pastoral couple like Pastor Danny Tice and his wife Karen. And uh, if you don't know them, we highly recommend them to you. Praise God. And I can tell you, if I were in this neighborhood, this would be where I'd be going to church. I just love the worship here. We had such a good time worshiping with your worship team, and they really exalted Jesus, and that's what it's all about. Would you say amen to that this morning? Praise God. We've been to this church quite a few times over the years, all the way back from the early days when Pastor Danny and Karen lived in a trailer next door here. We stayed with them in that trailer, and, and uh, we're glad that they're uh, moving on up, and the church is being more successful, and we don't have to stay in that trailer anymore, you know? <laughs> Praise God. But, uh, yeah, when you're young, it's okay, you know? But anyway, it's good, to be, it's good to be with you and uh, excited about the opportunity to share here with you today. As Pastor Danny said, uh, my role in ministry has been somewhat uh, different from, uh, from Pastor Danny's in that I've been involved in what I call entrepreneurial uh, ministry, planning churches, and, uh, and we were able to, in fact, we started our first church together, and we didn't really know hardly anything about anything, and we learned more what not to do than what to do, but it was a learning experience, and we took those things, and we planted churches, and some of them have been very successful, and we're, we're grateful to God for that. Uh, Twelve years ago, I stepped down from the main church that we were using as our base to start new churches, and uh, shortly thereafter, my wife and I purchased, this is my wife Jane, by the way, in the front row here, uh, we purchased an Italian restaurant uh, owned uh, by a couple of uh, first-generation Sicilians there in uh, Lewistown, Pennsylvania. And uh, they had a great restaurant, and we were thankful to be able to build on what they had. And it's become kind of um, 
I would say, like a laboratory for us to put into practice all the things that we have been, as pastors, teaching our congregations. This is what you can do in the marketplace, how you can influence your family and friends and neighbors and co-workers for Christ. And uh, we've seen a complete culture change in our restaurant uh, over the years and excited about the numbers of people that have come to Christ. People come to my restaurant to eat and to get prayer and to share testimonies of answered prayers from times in the past. And it's, it's really been a lot of fun for us. And uh, Pastor Danny asked me to come today and to uh, share my testimony. And so I'd like to uh, share my testimony in the context of some thoughts that I have been mulling over recently about the nature of God. And I want to present to you today the irrefutable characteristics of God's loving nature in this, that His love is both irresistible and totally irrational. So first of all, I want to talk about His irresistible love. Over the years, I've told many a young person that was struggling with the whole concept and the thought of God that you might as well give up now because he has your number and he is relentless. He will not give up. He is on your trail and he is going to continue to hunt you down until you yield your life to Jesus. And if they had a praying grandmother or a praying mother, you better give up now because you cannot outrun the prayers of your grandmother. <laughs> you know, uh, God's love is irresistible, and I'm now a grandfather. Jane and I have 11 grandchildren, and, uh, and I can tell you it's all about the grandkids. Our love, too, is irresistible, and we've learned from our Heavenly Father how to love our grandkids in that way. Perhaps you remember the great testimony of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we're not going to turn there. I'm just going to tell the story. It's kind of a lengthy uh, story, but I just want to break it down and, uh, and share with you today uh, about his testimony, how he was on the way from Jerusalem to Damascus in order to persecute Christians. Saul, who later had his name changed to Paul, had already participated in the murder of the martyr Stephen. And he had a bloodlust for more. And so he's on the Damascus Road, and he has a warrant from the high priest to arrest and persecute the Christians in Damascus. But while he is on that road, God interrupts his journey with a blinding light and reveals himself to him. Christ himself reveals himself to Saul as the Lord of glory. And fortunately for that Damascus church, and, and fortunately for Saul, his total life was transformed in that moment, and God sent him on a completely different mission in life. He started out on that road going one direction, to persecute and to destroy the church. God took this murderous man, and he completely turned him around so that put him on a different road, now not to persecute the church, but to build the church. And we know the end of the story that three-quarters of this New Testament uh, was written by the Apostle Paul, the greatest figure in the New Testament besides Christ himself. God can do that in the life of any individual if we'll just but yield our life to him. How many of you are excited today that God interrupted your life when you were on the road, on a journey down the wrong road, huh? Amen. That's a good place to thank the Lord. Praise God. We can say with the Apostle Paul that God's love is irresistible. I can tell you personally, I can totally relate 
to the transformation experience that Saul had that day. Because God interrupted my life in a similar way. He didn't interrupt my life with, with a blinding light. Instead, it was more like blinding pain. And uh, I just ha- had this mind-numbing heartache that had happened because of the way that I'd been living my life. And, and that's what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. I'm going to be sharing with you a part of my testimony that I've really never shared before, except for the early service, obviously, today. And, uh, and the reason is, is because it involves some people in my home area that, you know, it was my intention never to do anything to, uh, to hurt them or to get that story out publicly. Aren't you, aren't you glad that when you get saved that everything you've done is not shown on the overhead projector? Amen? Yeah, well, me too. So, you know, I'm going to try to tell you the story and leave out enough of the gory details, but you'll get the point of what it was that God had done so miraculous in my life. But I'm going to take us back to 1977, and it was in August of that year. I can't remember the exact day. I think around the middle of the month. And that morning, it was around 8 a.m. in the morning, and I was sleeping off a heavy round of drinking from the night before, which was pretty much my habit. I had become a full-blown alcoholic before I got out of my teenage years, and, and uh, that morning was no different, and I, I was suddenly awakened from a dead sleep, sat bolt upright in bed, and I heard a voice in my head say that my first wife was in a motel room with another man and gave me the name of the motel. I called my buddy that I had been drinking with the night before, and I said, listen, you've got to come with me. I believe that my wife is in a motel, and I, I just I need some backup here. And so he came. We got in my car, and we traveled 20 miles down the road to the interstate where this large uh, hotel motel was. And sure enough, as we came around the corner, there was my wife's car parked right beside her boss's car. So I'm sitting there, and I'm trying. I'm just in a blind rage and, you know, murderous thoughts in my head and trying to figure out what to do, when I heard that same voice speak to me again as I was looking at the hotel and pointed out the very window of the room that they were in. I leapt out of the car, and I ran into the hotel. And while I was running in, I was contemplating in my mind how I was going to do that. Now, you see, I'm a pretty good-sized fellow, and I was then also. And uh, my plan was I was going to beat this guy unconscious and pick him up bodily and throw him out through that large window that I had seen to his death. And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of like Saul at this point. I'm in a murderous rage, and, uh, and nothing would have stopped me. So I ran up to the floor that, that I had seen this, you know, had this impression. It was all I can describe for you. Uh, and, uh, and I ran up to that floor, and now, now I'm thinking, you know, I had counted the windows down so I knew which room it was, and then I counted the doors down, and uh, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get in this room. When a bellhop comes walking down the hallway, and I said to him, uh, excuse me, sir, but uh, I uh, misplaced my key in the room there. I locked myself out. Would you please let me in? So, oh, sure. And he had a key back then. We used keys and not the little card things. And so he, he put his key in the door and he cracked it open. And before he could get that door open, I charged, hit my shoulder on that door and sent that door flying into the wall with a loud crash, dashed into the middle of that room. And there was, the room was completely empty. The, the bellhop was 
obviously completely taken aback. He had no idea what he had gotten himself into. And, and I was a bit puzzled because I was just sure I was in the right place. I didn't know how I knew. I just knew it. And, uh, and so I didn't know it at the time, but my ex and her, her lover had seen us pulling up. They were, in fact, in the, the, behind that window that I had seen. I had just miscalculated which door that it was down the hallway because of the stairwell and the windows there. And I crashed in this door, and you know how they are in motel doors side by side like that. They were in this door, and they're hearing this whole thing unfold out there, me crashing through, getting a bellhop to open the door, the whole nine yards. They're terrified for their life, no idea what to do. The bellhop, he's, uh, you know, he's completely shaken up. And, and so uh, anyway, I retreated back out of the room, went back out, out to the car and, and uh, trying to figure out you know, what I was going to do and how I was going to find them. And, you know, I was just going to wait them out. And so while I'm waiting in the car with my buddy and still, you know, concocting these plans in my mind, talking things over with my buddy, and, and uh, uh, another thought began to break through the darkness. And I had this thought, this was my fault. Now, I can tell you that wasn't something that I normally thought about my responsibilities. I was totally irresponsible most of my life, and, uh, and so I wasn't used to taking responsibility for my actions, but I had this impression and this thought that came to me, this is my fault. I believe now that to be, have been the voice of the Holy Spirit bringing conviction to me and, and starting to point out the nature of my sin. And while I was there, I began to contemplate how I had taken a good little girl out of church and taught her how to sin because that's what I, the reality was. And now, unfortunately, she had just exceeded my wildest expectations. But I believe it, at that moment, as I sat in that car, still, it's, it's so interesting to me to think about this because of the mindset that I was in, on one hand, had these murderous thoughts, and then on the other hand, I had these other thoughts invading my mind that I have personal responsibility here and I need to do something about it. I didn't know what. I had no idea about things like uh, repentance and, and no connection with Christianity. I didn't really know what to do with these thoughts, but I believe this was the beginning of my repentance. I believe this was the beginning of me yielding and coming under conviction. I had grown up in what I call an irreligious home. My parents, uh, they were professional people, but they, they really didn't have a clue how to deal with a wild child like me. My three sisters were just the polar opposite of what I was. They were tall, they were good looking, they were studious, they were disciplined, they were athletic, and uh, they just excelled at everything they did. And then there was their brother, you know. Their brother, I was kind of the classic hyperactive child back then. They didn't have all the acronyms that they have today. You know, they didn't call you by an acronym. They said, you're obnoxious, you're rebellious, you're crazy, you know, you're totally uh, out of control. And uh, without a doubt, I was definitely an underachiever. Uh, Charlie Roselle was the uh, local wrestling coach. He was a graduate of the Naval Academy stopped me in the hall one day, and he said, Bailey, come here a minute. So let's see. Uh, Susie's your sister, right? 
uh, she was a year and a half younger than me, and I've already described her to you. He said, I said, yes, sir. He said, and Judy's your sister, right? She was a year and a half older than me. I was in between, and my older sister was 10 years above me. And, uh, but he said, Judy's your sister, right? I said, that's correct. He said, what in the H happened to you? <laughs> well, frankly, that was, a, that was a really good question. You know, I was the black sheep. I was the aberration. I was not at all like my sisters. And I can tell you, well, in fact, when I talk with my sisters today and we talk about our upbringing, they say, Mike, you must have grown up in a different house. I said, well, I did. <laughs> You know, you and, and I had completely different experiences with our parents. And I'm not blaming them. I, you know, I love my mom and dad. This was, you know, a lot, of, a lot of this was on me, you know. And so we did have different experiences. My dad was an insurance agent, and, and uh, I'd come home from school, and he and his buddies be around in suits, and they'd have the carpet pulled back from the wall, and they'd be shooting craps up against the wall, or they'd be playing cards and drinking, smoking cigars. They were all businessmen. Boy, they were yucking it up and having a great time. And I looked at that, and I thought in my teenage mind, man, that is the life. That's what I want to do. I want to have fun just like these guys. And, uh, and, uh, and so uh, I thought to myself, well, I don't need school. I can accomplish that on my own. So I didn't need to study. That wasn't a part of, uh, of my big plan. You know, there was a great Bible teacher I heard years ago who said, whatever the parents excuse in moderation, the children will excuse in excess. I knew that was true because everything that I saw in my father and that I aspired to, I became that times 10. Believe me, I was a wild child and I became a much wilder adult. And, uh, and so that day I'm sitting outside the, the motel, still trying to figure out what to do. God begins to break through that darkness in my life. Now, my ex and her boss, they never did come out of the motel. As I said, they had seen me. They were in fear for their life, and uh, they knew the consequences of coming out. So they had called uh, a lawyer that was a mutual friend of, of the man and myself, and he kind of came out and negotiated their release. My friend and I left. They came out of the hotel, and apparently I had ruined their whole day. And uh, so, you know, over the next few months, I tried very hard to uh, reconcile with my wife, but they had set their course. And, uh, and I didn't realize it at the time, but my course was set as well because God is relentless and his love is irresistible. And as the pain over what I had become became more and more I beca- intensified, I became more and more broken. I realized as I started looking back at my life now, all of it began that day. I started looking back in my life and I realized how deeply I had hurt everyone who had ever loved me and who had invested in my life. And the more I looked at it, the more I wept. There were times I would weep 24 hours around the clock. I just couldn't stand what I had become. And uh, thankfully, God, by His grace, led me to a Spirit-filled United Methodist Church pastor by the name of Ted Yo, who told me that what I needed to do to uh, solve my dilemma was to surrender my life to Jesus Christ, and He would begin 
to work in my life and to transform me and to turn me around. And, and uh, that day in his office, we knelt there and we prayed the sinner's prayer. I asked Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins. And I mean, I was fully aware by that time of the wicked life that I had been living and how undeserving I was of his love, but God saved me. And while I was there on my knees, I had this experience where I felt like weight was being lifted off of my shoulder. You know, the, you know, sin is a great burden, and it continues to press and push you down until you get lower and lower and lower in this life. And, and I remember thinking to myself, as that weight was lifted off, I had this, this thought. So this is what they mean when they say he had the world lifted off of his shoulders because I felt like a great, uh, great weight had been lifted off of me. Now, as I look back and I think about my life, this word comes to me. I think about how irrational the love of God is that he would love me because I look at my life and I realize that nobody was more undeserving of God's love than what I was. It's actually, to me, it's illogical to the natural mind. And I believe that Paul captures the irrationality of it all in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, where he says this. He said, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good person, someone might possibly die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And what he's saying there is he's pointing out how illogical that is to the natural mind because there's no precedence for this, friends, in the human experience. That's not the way we are. We might possibly, we would Perhaps as parents and grandparents lay down our life for our children and our grandchildren, would we not? Grandparents, mom, dad, I would gladly lay my life down. Even when my kids are sick, how many times have have you heard somebody say this? Oh, I would gladly take their place if we could just, if they could just be, I'll take their flu. I'll take their their disease or whatever it is they're struggling with. That's the nature of parents. But, uh, but. For somebody who is a wicked sinner, there is no precedence for that in the human experience. It's illogical to the natural mind. Well, aren't you glad that God's love is both irresistible and irrational? Praise God. Because he loves you. And maybe you at some time in the past have yielded your life to the Lord, or maybe you're here, and for the first time you realize that God has been relentlessly pursuing you down through the years of your life. He has his hook in your jaw like a great fisherman, and he is reeling you in. Praise God. Maybe this is the day you give your life to Jesus Christ and and say, Lord, I surrender to you. I want you to take my life. A God who is that magnificent, who is that awesome in all of his ways, that's a God I can trust. That's a God I can serve. You know, when the Apostle John considered this aspect of God's nature, he said this in 1 John 3, 1. He said, what great love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Now, when we read that passage, we have a tendency to read it kind of in a a benign, passionless way, sort of like I just did, quoted for you. 
But in the um, modern translations, you'll find at the end of those sentences an exclamation point. There's two sentences there and two exclamation points. And what that is illustrating, that in the original language, uh, and Pastor Danny, who is a, is a good student of the Greek, uh, can tell you that those languages, they put a lot of passion in their words. And the way that passage should actually be read is like this. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Praise God. There's excitement. There is passion behind those words. Oh, God, your love is so great. Why would you love someone like me? It's beyond searching out. I don't understand it, but I do accept it and receive it for myself. Amen? Oh, God, we thank you for that. And I believe that every believer should be just as passionate as John expresses in this passage about the love of Jesus. But unfortunately, as I travel around, I notice that a lot of Christians are very ho-hum about the fact that God has saved them by His grace from, a, from an eternity of eternal torment. Well, that's not something we should be passionless about. That's something we should be excited about. That's why when your uh, associate pastor, Jeremy, stands up here and says, you know, let's give God the praise and honor and worship and, that he's worthy of and that he's due. We should respond to that and say, yes, I'm not going to go through the motions in church. I'm going to give God all the glory. He's worthy of my praise because that's what he's done for me. Praise God. Well, I wonder where the excitement has gone. Do, have you ever seen the uh, TV series called A.D., as in Anno Domini? And, it's, uh, and what it does is it takes over from, and it's done by Roma Downey. She did the Jesus uh, series. And it's very well done. Or maybe it was the Bible series, Jesus series, Bible series. Very well done. It follows the book of Acts after the resurrection of Jesus. The apostle Paul gets saved, and uh, he's in Damascus, and the first thing he wants to do is he wants to go into the synagogue and tell all the Jews about Jesus and what Jesus has done for him. And the other disciples are there with him, Ananias and some others, say, are you crazy? You know, don't you know that these are the same people that killed Jesus? And oh yeah, by the way, you were there and helped, ki helped uh, kill the martyr Stephen. They're going to do the same thing to you. But Paul said, no, wait a minute. This God was able to save me can save them also. He understood something about the irresistible and irrational nature of God's love. And so Paul's like, if he can, if he can save me, he can save them because they are just like me. I like that attitude because it demonstrates the proper faith that we should have in the irresistible love of the Lord. Don't you? I have to tell you that I never allow myself to forget what God has saved me from. Now, you know, we're talking about events that are 40 years in the rearview mirror. I didn't have, when Pastor Danny asked me to come and to share these things, I didn't have to, like, go through back the files of my mind and pull this stuff out. It's actually pretty prominent there. And I can tell you, I don't labor under guilt and condemnation about it, but I never allow myself to forget because, number one, I never want to go back there. 
I never want to be tempted like that's some kind of a life that I should aspire to again. I want to remind myself of the pain and what I, the hurt and the, and the damage that I caused the lives of other people so that I'm never tempted to think that I should go back there and to live that lifestyle. Number two, I remind myself because it reminds me that there's no one so bad who has gone so far afield that God can't reach them with his precious gospel. There's, you know, I've heard people say, oh, that person will never become a Christian. They're much too wild. They're, 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 they're too crazy. They're off the, they're off the, the, the charts. Well, truthfully, when I see someone who's living a very bad life, who has a terrible character, I always think to myself just the opposite. I think now that is a good candidate for the kingdom of God. Danny said to me, he said, I want you to come share. He said, I want somebody to share that kind of had a bad background. He said, God had to save me from stealing chocolate chip cookies. You know, he grew up in the pastor's home and we're, you know, we're the odd couple. We're very different in our, in our background. But let me tell you something. It was just as important for him to get saved. My wife grew up in church. She was a good girl. When, when we got married, she was 28 years old and, and, uh, and, Okay, I'm not going to say it, sweetheart, but she was a good girl. She was a very good girl. She's over there saying, is he going to say that publicly? You know, she's a, she was a very good girl. But there was a time, friends, when she had to do the very same thing that I did in that pastor's office and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. She had to come under conviction that there's none righteous. No, not even one. And she had to give her life to Jesus Christ. No matter what, see. So, so anyway, God's love is relentless. He's irresistible. It's totally irrational. And he will save anybody. Number three, I never allow myself to forget what, that what God has saved me from because it reminds me of my obligation to tell others about what he has done in order that they might hear the precious truth that our God is a saving God. Our God is a loving God who is relentless in his pursuit of us. Praise God. I'm so grateful for that. That's why I'm here today. I'm trusting that the Lord, while I was speaking to you, that you were hearing another voice. And, uh, you know, I know that your sermon series here today is about, you know, cleaning up the mess. And I think it's a great series. I love that intro video, by the way. And, uh, and I can relate to that. Jane's been working on that with me, you know. That's one of her gifts to me is getting me cleaned up. And, uh, but ultimately, our hearts need to be cleaned up by the Lord. And, and we get into a lot of messes, don't we? I'm a businessman, and I've made a lot of decisions. They haven't all been good. Some of them have been really bad. And I've needed God's redeeming power, how he takes the messes we make of our life, and he straightens them all back up. And uh, there have been times I've made poor decisions in relationships and things that I've said to people that just slipped out of your mouth before you could get them out and relationships were broken, you know. Well, God is a redeemer. As we yield those messes that we make out of our life to the Lord, he is able to save us. And sometimes we just find ourselves in a mess and you're not at fault. Maybe it's a child that you've given all the love that you could possibly give to them, but they have strayed and gone into things that they shouldn't be in, and you're wondering what to do, and you feel helpless in that moment, let me tell you something. Your God is relentless in his love for your child, and he will save them. 
And today we're going to pray with faith because God is a saving God. And his love is irresistible. And his love is irrational. And there is no one that is out of his reach that he can't draw into his heart to save them. And so if you have a need like that today, and I'd like you to stand with me, we're going to pray over those needs. And we're going to ask God to make something very special out of what has happened in in, in the messes of your life. Would you stand with me, please? I told the early service today that when... I'm thinking about the messes that I find myself in. I usually have this thought first, Lord, this has caught me by surprise, but nothing catches you by surprise. You knew this day was going to happen. You knew that I was going to make the wrong decision, choose the wrong thing, and now I'm in a mess. First of all, Lord, if I need to ask for forgiveness, I'll say, Lord, please forgive me. It isn't always about forgiveness, though. Sometimes we just make dumb choices, you know, and, uh, but I'll repent. I'll say, Lord, you can make something special happen here. And then I start to think about the cosmos and how God has placed all the stars in the sky and he's created order out of such chaos and, and harmony and how everything works together. And I think about the earth and all that he's done that he's provided for us. And I say, God, The God that has made order out of all this chaos can bring order into the chaos of my life, into the messes that we experience. God will do that for you today. How many of you say, I have a mess in my life that needs cleaned up? Would you just raise your hand here? This is is an action of faith. We respond to the Lord. He speaks to us, and our job is to surrender and, and respond to Him. And this is how we do that. We just say, yes, Lord. I know that you're speaking to me today. I hear that voice. I feel that nudge, and I respond to you, and I say, I'm in a mess. This relationship is broken. Uh, My job is going in the tank. My finances are a mess. My child's headed down the wrong road. Whatever it is, Lord, right now, I just slip your hand up. I just yield it to you, God. I, I hear the testimony of your irresistible and irrational love, and God, that's what I need. I need you to move miraculously and powerfully in my life. Oh, Lord, you're the Savior. And you're not just the Savior of my soul for some later date. You're the Savior of my life right here in this this moment in time that I'm living. You're the Savior of my child. You're the Savior of my household. You're the Savior of my finances. You're the Savior of this relationship. You're the Savior of my job. You're the Savior, God, and I need a Savior. I need a champion, and I believe that Jesus Christ is my champion. Come, Lord, and move powerfully now to make something special out of all the messes of our life. God, thank you that you are cleaning us up, setting us on the right road. The God who can turn the life of Saul around can turn my life around and get me on the right pathway. Thank you, God. I respond to you. Amen. Now put your hands down. Just please, for a moment, uh, maintain that wonderful attitude of reverence and prayer that I sense in here right now because there may be somebody here today that really identifies with the testimony I've shared about going down the wrong road and being lost, being trapped in darkness. And, and you know, like I started to sense that day that, that um, I needed to change and I needed a Savior. 
I want to give you that opportunity to respond to Jesus. And if you're here today and you just want to say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ and ask him to become my Lord and Savior, would you just very quickly just slip your hand up so that I can see it? I just want, yeah, that's right. I just, just as we're talking, just respond to him. God bless you. So many hands. And we, we, God bless you. Respond to the Lord. Yes, over here. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We need a Savior, and I thank you that you have come to save us, to set us free, to put us on the right pathway, the pathway to glory in you, to know you as Lord, to sense that irresistible love, God, to be transformed in our hearts. You do that work inside of us. It's such a mystery, but it's so real. Many of us here today have experienced that, and it's so real. We're so grateful. And that's why we worship and lift our hands to you, because there is no other name given under heaven whereby men might be saved but the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we yield to you, and we thank you for it. Now, all you had to do it's just this simple, is to respond, to surrender. And while I prayed that prayer, agree with me. The God who could save Saul, the God who could save Michael Bailey, can save me. He's no respecter of persons. As much as he loves me, he loves you. The much as, he, as much as he loves Pastor Danny, he loves me. Oh, God, you are so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for being relentless in your pursuit of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are prayer team over here to my left, your right. And uh, if you prayed that prayer today and you invited Jesus into your heart, I think it would be important for you to take a faith step to get out of your seat and to go over and confirm it with these guys and just say, I asked Jesus into my heart. And I want, to, I want to be a Christian. I want to live my life for God. And I want to spend eternity with Him. If you need prayer, additional prayer today, these folks are here to pray with you. God bless you, and thank you for being such a great audience today. God bless you.